0: Pharaoh learned the grievous consequences of shaking your fist in the face of God all too well. On today's podcast, we'll learn how each of the plagues directly defeated an Egyptian God and consider the ramifications of Pharaoh's resistance and what it means for our lives today. Look with me, if you would please, at verse number 32 of Exodus chapter 8. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. As the theological education for which the Pharaoh requested continued to ensue, we learn just how hard the Pharaoh's heart can be to God's demands. Much is made of God hardening Pharaoh's heart in academic circles, and while this admittedly is a difficult concept to grasp regarding God's sovereignty, it shouldn't be ignored that it is Pharaoh who at first hardens his heart to God's demands. Remember back in chapter 3? After God patiently waits for Moses to get to the backside of the desert and the end of himself, he at last overcomes Moses' excuses as to why he can't do the one thing that every Israelite had hoped someone would do for the last 400 years, namely deliver them from the oppression of the Egyptians. After the Lord met with Moses there in the wilderness, he courageously stands before the Pharaoh, insisting that the Hebrew nation evacuate Egypt for at least three days to worship the Lord, though we know that God had designs on delivering them permanently. But at this point, the Pharaoh is not even willing to consider a long weekend for these slaves to worship. A custom Egyptian literature makes clear that the ruler would do from time to time. Presumably, the Jewish slave force was so valuable to the developing Egyptian economy that he wouldn't even consider it. The Pharaoh had scoffed, Who is the Lord? Well, he is getting a front row seat to the power and majesty of this God. After the Nile, the life source of their economy had turned to blood. In chapter 8, we learn of three more plagues that God will rain down from heaven on the rebellion of this hard-hearted leader the plague of frogs, of gnats, and of flies. The theme of this book of Exodus is that God will be glorified over every other god. Everything we worship will come to recognize eventually that God alone is to be treasured and revered forever. We learned yesterday how the Pharaoh's power was represented by the cobra, with the headdress itself resembling the hood of a cobra. We saw how God's power swallowed up the Pharaoh's power by Moses' rod swallowing up the magician's snake. Now the Lord takes aim at the gods of the Egyptians. At the end of chapter 7, the Nile River had turned to blood. The Egyptians worshipped Hapi, the Egyptian god of the Nile, the water bearer, the giver of all life. By turning the Nile to blood, God demonstrated that he alone was the one who gave energy and water. Jesus himself declares that he who drinks of this water will thirst again. But he who drinks of the water that I will provide him, it will be within him a well of water bursting forth into eternal life. The Nile turning to blood demonstrated God's power over the Egyptian god, Hapi. The second plague we read of, at the beginning of chapter 8 is the frogs. We learn that there are frogs everywhere. Everywhere you look, step, go, there is a frog. The Egyptians worshipped the Egyptian goddess of fertility, Heket, which is the head of a frog. God was demonstrating that he was the one who not only gave life, but also made things fertile. What is so ironic is that the Egyptians once again try to counterfeit God's miracle and only make matters worse by generating more frogs. It would seem to me the miracle would have been the cessation of the plague, not the counterfeit of it. But alas, that miracle is reserved for the real miracle worker. He alone can stop the frogs. A miracle Moses asked the Lord to perform tomorrow at Pharaoh's request. Why would you want one more night with the frogs? Why not right now? It just goes to highlight the rebellion and the stubbornness of the Pharaoh. The third plague of which we read is the plague of the gnats. The Egyptians also worshipped the false god, Geb. This false god represented the dust of the earth. The people worshipped the dust god. So the one true god commands Moses to smite the dust of the land, which became lice over the whole earth. Can you imagine? Every speck of dust immediately turning to lice. That's what happened. At last the magicians are confounded after having successfully imitated the miracles up until this point. But they have no dust to turn to lice. That's God's dust. And the very thing that he used to form mankind is now afflicting mankind after the Pharaoh's incessant rebellion. The fourth plague was the plague of flies. And once again, it is aimed directly at the Egyptian god. This one was the god Kepri. It was the supposed God of creation and of the sun's movement, but it had the head of a fly. To make the miracle even more conclusive, the flies only afflicted the Egyptians. They weren't even in the land of the Israelite slaves. It would seem to me that Pharaoh would get the message, but there is a robust application for us here. You see, long before Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God, to display his majesty and power over the Pharaoh and the gods of the Egyptians. Pharaoh himself was rebellious to the Lord's commands. He shook his fist in God's face and refused to repent of his rebellion. He tried everything he could to turn them every which way but loose. After even his own magicians were confounded with the wonder of God's miraculous power, Pharaoh's stubbornness persisted. There was even an attempt to compromise, telling the Israelites that they could sacrifice, but only in the land of Egypt. This was a concession, yes, but it was not total obedience to what God had promised. God had told Moses that he would lead them back to the very spot where God had called him on that mountain so many days earlier. Then Pharaoh tries another tactic, promising to let them go if God delivered them from the plague, only to renege on that agreement after the affliction had subsided. He does this not once, but twice, for his heart was hardened against God's commands. By the end of this rebellion, all of Egypt would know that the Lord was God because the desecration of the whole land would be felt in a way that every family would feel it. God's judgment would prevail against the Pharaoh's hard-hearted rebellion. Now this is instructive for those of us who like to argue with God. Our rebellion will be overcome. God will triumph. He will be glorified. And the very things that we hoard so closely will come to naught. The material things of this life that we worship in place of the one true God will burn up in the fire of God's wrath upon mankind's rebellion. Judgment is coming, and like Moses, we must plead with the world to submit to God's authority or face the same destruction. God is not done with cataclysmic judgment on the earth. The book of Revelation makes it clear, and we must implore people to repent. We must also live lives in submission to God's demands ourselves. We cannot, like Pharaoh, harden our hearts to what God has called us to do and not be faced with his hand of punishment, for we are his and he chastens those he loves. When we walk in resistance to God's leading in our lives, we willingly place ourselves in the crosshairs of God's loving but chastening hand. So what part of God's will are you ignoring today? Like Pharaoh, we, can ask, we cannot ask God to deliver us from the consequence of our sin and when he does, return to our rebellion. We also can't compromise with the Lord as the Pharaoh tried to do. We can't say, God, can't I just sacrifice to you here in this way? Do I really have to move to the desert to surrender to you? Such compromise is not what the Lord asks. Does the very God who delivers us not deserve our complete and total obedience? We must live lives of submission to God's ways and not walk in compromise or negotiate with the King of Heaven. So Jesus, as we come to you today, forgive us for trying to compromise and negotiate when it comes to your request. Forgive us for begging for your deliverance only to return to our rebellion when our affliction subsides. May we live lives of total obedience to your calling, and may we implore others to do the same to avoid the inevitable destruction that awaits their rebellion. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.